Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Right, that's another hour. We have got an hour. Welcome to the Mouth of Manliness. Welcome, welcome, welcome. 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 I am Nicholas Noyes. I am Brad, bad man. Brad, we still haven't come up with Bad man, Brad. Yeah, Brad. Brad, just Brad. Brad's fine. Sounds so country, I like it. What, Brad? No, bad man, Brad. Bad man, Brad. I feel like it sounds like something from Bugsy Malone. I watched, uh, I went to... Uh, of Florida with my kids. Amazing. Uh, like what was it? October? It was. It was. It was really good. And on the way out there, I watched a film called uh, Jeff Bridges, who I like. What an old film? No, it weren't old. It was called something. Something Heart. And basically, it was a country singer. And I've got this little soft spot for country. Yeah. Yeah, just a little... I really like Ryan Adams. I've got Ryan Adams T-shirt on now. And uh, granted, like, he's recently been um, accused of... Well, not being a paedophile, but oh, being no, inappropriate with one. people who are a little bit too young. Really? And um, I, I, I don't know how true it is. We'll never know. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure he overstepped the mark because I, I, I think he's a man who lives very much by his heart. Right. And like that, not to... Ex- not to excuse anything. No. You know, I don't dig that in any way, shape or form. But I still I'm still gonna listen to his tunes and his songs touch my heart. And they're they and if you haven't listened to him, I really, really recommend is Ryan he, Adams. Um, he's so fucking brilliant. He's got has he got guitar pedals out? That, you can buy the VCR pedal. That's it, that's which seen. is like a chorus, boost and a reverb. Um it's a lot of money. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 done in like uh, eight really VCR cool, yeah. style. Yeah, yeah, really like. Yeah, yeah um, it's really cool. he's he's a really good guitar player as well. Yeah. I, I ape him all day long when yeah. I play as well. Like I like old school reverb. Yeah, that's quite. I haven't really listened to too much of him though. That's... It's really br- a lot of bruised ballads. Yeah, he's really he's really good. One night, uh, I. Got to spend like an evening hanging out with Kat Von D. Wow. Uh, pictures up in my tattoo. Oh, right. Okay, cool. And she, we bonded over a joint love of Ryan Adams. Wow, amazing. She knows Ryan Adams. And she was like, I've got one of his guitars. And I was like, which one? And it just so happens to be like 
favourite of his guitars and probably the guitar that I'd really, really like to no have. No way. Like Gibson Three Five Five, which is I've got three three five. Yeah, three five five is the posh Johnny Marr, Noel Gallagher. Well, ah, oh, right, yeah, I know, yeah, amazing. But anyway, so the mouth of manliness. We are—we <laughs> are already into our hour. We have got an hour to talk about whatever. If you listen to the last one, we were like into some heavy shit. Yeah, it went deep, and then then it stopped, and uh, kind of that's the point. Yeah, and I and I make no excuses for the fact that it stopped. Yeah, it stops. We 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 are going to be talking and doing this for years. Yes. So we're going to come back to everything. Yeah. Eventually, Laura probability states we'll end up coming back round to it. But yeah. it is like at one like if you've listened to a couple of episodes about you like talking about some pretty sensitive stuff, and it was literally like alarm goes off. That's it. Off we go. Back to our lives. Yeah, and you said that the one we did before, and I just started, just spoke about my wife having cancer. It's like, right, we're done. Yeah. It's like. Actually, I'm kind of glad because like, that's a whole episode unto itself. Yeah, that's true. And like, I think like we mentioned dads, and yeah, or dads or being dads. Yeah, and I think like I'm sure I know for me, and I think for you as well, is that like being a dad and our dads is yeah. probably quite a big. It's probably like we could talk about it's that huge. forever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean the pressure of thinking that you have to do all of the stuff that your dad did or didn't do or what you wanted your dad to do or what you didn't want your dad to do and not passing stuff on to your kid. It's crazy, crazy. Yeah, you say that. I think, like, my biggest fear is that my kids become depressives um, or they become really self-conscious. I'm worried that they'll inherit my my mental health problems. Yeah, but don't forget, that might, it might, I believe it will emerge that, Obviously, that's not a bad thing, and it might be that they inherit the, uh, an awareness of self. Well, yeah, it, or sensitivity, or that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So some days it'd be good, some days it'd be bad. Like not yeah. so little, but you know, yeah, yeah that's it, true. That's quite a gift, really. Yeah, in some ways, I feel like uh, there are there are good sides to mm. it. But what I'm conscious of is that um, I've got a big mouth, and I'll talk and talk and talk and talk, <laughs> uh, and. Um, and what's really cool about it, really, is that, like, I think we, I kind of got from you quite early on, like, on that, uh, we talked about it in another episode when we talked about like, how we met. Yeah, so if we, you we haven't listened doing... to, like, episode one and two, then you're a moron, like, who starts at number <laughs> yeah. three anyways? Yeah, 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 you're right. But, yeah, basically, to recap, we met uh, while swimming yeah. with our friend Stuart. So, within that, like, we had some fair, like, it was... We had some fairly heavy conversations. Yeah. And like they must have been really grabbed because uh our our joint friend Stuart is he's a fucking alpha male, isn't he? Yes. He is. And I know he definitely he certainly has his vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. but like you kind of have to know him for a long time to really see it anyway. Yeah. Unless you really understand behaviour. Mm. Um but so within our first time that we hung out, we, I learned quite a lot about you, uh, and and quite a fascinating life you've led. It's but yeah, it's been pretty nuts, mate. To be honest, it really has. So what I'd like to do is, um, no, what's cool is that actually, like, although we we clicked. I don't know loads about you. No, that's probably true. Yeah. 
So when when we do talk about you, a lot of these things are going to be brand new to me. Yeah, and to everyone else. So I am kind of um, interested in you today. Oh, that's a nice thing. I didn't know we can do this. That's cool. All right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, even back to that weekend, I can't even. I can't remember a massive amount of that weekend. I remember a lot of rolling around <laughs> and leg breaking and stuff. But um, okay. If I start us off then with some of the things that I picked up from when we met. Yeah, that'd be amazing. So it'd be like a time capsule. Um drug use mm. jumped out to me. When we were talking, uh when I the little things, so like if you're for anyone who doesn't I'm um I'm um I did a degree uh, at one point in my life, I decided that the best way to be better is to um, follow social norms. Right, okay. Uh, and part of that was uh, getting a career. Yeah. So I started working uh, in probation. And then I met my wife in probation and I thought, fuck, I... I I'm going to marry her and have kids and shit. Ah. So I probably need to be earning more money. Mm. And I also really like, I used to do group work. So I used to like work with large groups of people doing rehabilitation. And, I, you know, I don't know how much it works, but not right. Um, you know, when you talked about drug use, I thought that it wasn't just fun recreational drug no. use. No. It was, I'm not happy, I need to escape drug mm. use. And that's the same as me. Yeah. So then I was like, oh, right, we're similar people. Yeah, it's funny how, like, drugs have, like, this little hierarchy, almost like what's socially acceptable and what isn't. I suppose it's not that funny because it's the same as, same as alcohol, which is a drug, and tea and coffee even. You know, just because it's everywhere doesn't mean it's, you know, normal and it's all right to kind of do it all. But, yeah, it's like... Different drugs that I've been on and used in the past have like ebbed and flowed with different people, different relationships, different types of music, friendships and everything. It's crazy how, how it's sort of changed over the years. But yes, yeah, nuts. I suppose uh, drug use, um, especially if you use it problematically rather than just like, wait, I'm having a laugh, I'll do drugs tonight, I'm having a laugh. And yeah. If... If you're like me, you're like, oh, I'm having a laugh of drugs. Right, I want to take this all the time then because mm. I don't feel, I feel better. Yeah. Although, obviously, you crash. But then, yeah, so then you were talking about drug use and then you kind of mentioned bits about family and then I got the impression, and then with those two links, I was mm. like, right, that's, he's escaping. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's there, there's escapism mm. there because it's clearly been... Uh, You've, you've experienced pain. Yeah, I think it's quite common for people when they go through whatever they're going through to sort of reach out and look elsewhere. And what I've seen happen over the years with myself and then seeing it in other people has kind of affirmed it is, especially when people have problems with family and stuff at home, they then go out and find another family. And quite often those families drink or they take drugs or they support the same football team or they go fishing or something like that and it's very easy for you to kind of latch on to this but you're desperate for connection 100% you're yeah. desperate for connection mm. you're desperate to feel a kinship 
you're desperate to be with other people who are like you because that makes you feel part of the world. And if you don't have that, if you don't have that with your family, then you you desperately seek it somewhere else. Yeah, that's why kids get into gangs. Oh, totally. That's why yeah. people get into crime and things yeah. because you know, like when they say, you know, oh, I did it because my mate. You know, oh, I'm not. Like I've worked with people in probation, and it's been they've been like, well, no, no, I didn't do it because they did it. It's like no, you didn't do it because they did it. No, but you did it because you wanted to be part of what part of them in their life and sometimes it's just normalizing what you are doing so it might just so happen that you know you do a particular drug and then someone else does a particular drug and then all of a sudden there's 10 people around you that think it's normal to do ketamine on tuesday and wednesdays and that's perfect that was a big part of my life for i don't know maybe i wouldn't even remember a good sort of two or three years where it, that was the that was the norm purely because there was other people doing it. Whenever anyone would say, oh, you know, that's not normal, I go, well, I beg to differ. Look, look, there's 10 friends yeah. here and we all do the same thing. So, yeah, then it becomes normalised and then it's all right. Mm. Let alone that you might be completely different, you know, in a physiological way to someone else. So it might be affecting you in a completely different way. Yeah, I mean, even on ketamine, that was my drug of choice. Yeah, that's what you said to me. Yeah. You said, like, yeah, I really loved ketamine. Mm. I've never done ketamine. No, I mean, it... It, wasn't, it didn't really happen with us. No, it's funny. It just kind of ended up in my life, like a lot of other things, through music. So I DJ. Um, That's what I wanted to do when I left school. Um, even in my careers day at school, I told them I wanted to work on Essex, Essex FM and they said my maths and that wasn't good enough and the fact that I've only got one ear, I might as well just give up. So I was like, no, fuck you, I'm going to I'm gonna go and do that. So, you know, I didn't work at Essex, Essex FM. I did win a competition to go to Hollywood with them, no, with a boy band and that's a different story for a different day. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, you did talk a bit about that. Which but, really yeah, is. I just went out and... Uh, I found whatever record deck I had at home and got another one and then that didn't work. That worked for a little while and didn't really work and then mates always had decks so you find out what the make of that is and I sort of asked mum for Christmas and I think I got one and then I got a mixer for my birthday and then another one and then just started doing whatever I could, little parties and stuff like that and then you know you get talking to friends who like the same sort of thing and then before you know it I was lucky enough to do a few like little local club nights and then uh, I think it was originally I met my mate Lee. I think it was at the South Coast Weekender and we just clicked straight away. with music. Was this in Essex? Uh, South Coast Weekender is in Canberra Sands. I think it was like a but, weekend but, thing. Oh yeah, and, you um, see adverts for that. Yeah, like, they still have, weekend, I think, yeah, it? they have like the Northern Soul things there yeah. as well. This is more like, um, like house and yeah. stuff like that. And uh, we just clicked. Like, literally, it was almost like everyone else just appeared. It was just me and him, da 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 all weekend talking. It's great with that. It's oh, amazing. incredible. And I was just telling him, like, I've got so many ideas musically and stuff like that. He said, well, I've got a studio at home, and we live in Wickford. Um, come round, and then we'll do something. I was like, mate, I'll be there Monday. What, really? I was like, yeah, no problems. Half past six in the morning, Monday morning, I was there with a notepad, and, like, literally, right, Jeez. show me what you know, and then we'll go from there. And um, he, he was such a good DJ. He just had a real knack for picking records that everyone probably didn't even know they liked until they heard it. And it, the drive of them all, you know. I was just like, if we could just capture that in any kind of record, that'd just be amazing. And we just set about learning Cubase and learning the kit and 
he wasn't really up on like the integration of it all. I knew a little bit of like electrical stuff, so we kind of had to work out MIDI and time clocks and compressors and stuff like that. And we would hear something, we'd get the vinyl, listen back and say, right, can you hear that? Right, how, how are we going to do that with what we've got? And we'd have to work it out and save up for bits. I wasn't doing anything else. I was just set on, this is exactly what we're going to do. We'll make records, we'll press them up ourselves. And um, yeah, it's going to work. And we did, we did just that. We started speaking to distribution companies and we were literally like, right, what are you looking for? How does it work? We don't know what we're doing. Like we've just saved up for a fucking mobile phone. Like this is us. Like what, what do we do? And they were right, we go and get some records pressed. So found out who does that. And there's an amazing place in Hackney, like proper underground thingy going. They've got all the machinery and shit like that. We did like a couple of bootleg songs, some samples in, probably weren't supposed to use. And uh, got our first record press. And we actually took them up in the boxes to... Um, it's where 93 Feet East is. There's like a little distribution place back there. Rocked up and he went, yeah, here's, here's 900 quid um, for all of those. And we were like, you're joking? Well, like, you yeah. bought them off of that? Yeah, every single one. What, the tunes that you'd made? Yeah. That's literally in like white label made boxes. money out of music. And that How was hard it then. is that? Yeah, I literally just got the bug for it then and that was it. And the hardest thing, we were kind of chasing like perfection and trying to get it better. And in that time... Like it was quite a turbulent time. I found I end, I ended up moving into the studio pretty much. Him, his girlfriend was amazing. She died in the end, actually, car crash. Um, God, yeah, man. she. Oh, mate, it's tragic. She, um, her, her mum, her mum's sister, and her mum's daughter. So basically, her auntie and her cousin, in a little Fiesta, driving up to Scotland to go to a wedding, pulled out onto the motorway. And lorries clipped the front of the car, spun the car round into the fast lane, and the van is hit him straight on. And basically, they've all just popped out the back window. I think um, she ended up like on the fast lane of the other road on the other side. But um, yeah, I went up to see her uh, in Leeds. And uh, yeah, it's mad. Like, we hear all this. Apparently, the van driver went mad and stuff like that, but she was just laying there perfect not a single scratch on the front of her obviously it must have all been on the back and that and um yeah that's turned the machine off unfortunately but yeah it was such a like a mad turbulent time and but if you're struggling with shit anyway yeah and then something like that happens it just makes you feel the world bad oh yeah definitely i mean you have like a little plateau where you think everything's all right but even previous to that like before i'd met lee probably the year before um, we were on holiday and my mate's um, mum had died whilst we were on holiday. So literally his mum was fine. He got a phone call saying your mum's died. Whoever told him that whilst he's in Ionapa is an animal, I think, anyway. But I guess they think oh, like he needed no. to know. But, um, yeah, he then spent the rest of the week trying to throw himself off the balcony and that's a sort of... Um, and, yeah, you kind of get past little bits. No, not past, but you kind of like that kind of passes... And then you think, oh, all well, this music stuff's going really well, and you kind of get into that, and then it's like life goes. Well, don't get too cocky because you know here's this kind of life thing. Life does do that. Yeah. So then we had like, um, yeah, we were pressing on, making records, selling them ourselves, and everything. Club nights were just hand in hand with that. So I had my own club residency. We had our own night at Opium Lounge in Romford, and then we had two in Southend, I think, at about the same sort of time. 
So it worked out every month. We had like three nights that we were running and going and giving out flyers and stuff like that. And I just felt on top of the world. Like that's all I, I wanted do to that do. With it's so good. I love it. I love like just chatting just to people and everything. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But then like, yeah, you'd kind of tick along with that. And then like the person I was with at the time, we had um, had a little boy, but he passed away at Basin oh, Hospital. Jesus. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, we had to go through that side of things. And that was kind of like the, a lot changed when that all happened in my mind. I mean, before then I was always being told, you know, get a proper job and you've got to go and do this and music's not going to go anywhere and everything else. And I'd always say, no, I'm going to keep sort of pressing on and everything else. But then I think when that happened, you kind of get a big hit of reality, Mm. um, you know, not that them other things that happened didn't give me a sort of big hit no, of reality. So but much more, like that's yeah. just amplified, isn't it? What was odd about that is it was something that was unexpected and it shook my little world and everyone around me. Like it seemed like a ripple effect. Everyone I spoke about kind of knew about it and knew what was going on. We had a funeral and everything. And I didn't really think it was such an unexpected circus almost of it all you're kind of like wow like this is like this is really this is serious there's a lot of people involved and everything i think if it had just happened to me and i probably would have just i don't know maybe even just carried on and thought right this is that and everything else but um yeah just i don't know i think i maybe would have acted differently but probably i've learned now in the wrong way um openly grieving like that i think might have helped me and definitely affirmed so me and my stepdad got instantly closer when all of that happened so like that was a big like lot of stuff that kind of went away um me and my mum's relationship was great after that you know and you, you kind of re-established kind of little boundaries you didn't even know I'd kind of broken down so yeah kind of went through that and then you know that relationship kind of broken down it was kind of like closing a book and kind of going through all of that and then all of a sudden kind of rediscovered my friends and going out and that in conjunction with DJing as well. But you were probably like, when, you do, when you've been through something like that and then you discover something else, you jump with both feet. 100%. You're like, this, I feel better yeah. when I do this, yeah. so I'm going to do this. To the max. Yeah. Yeah, new haircut, new clothes, your friends have got new friends or we're going here, we're going there. Music scene's changed. Drugs have changed. Off we go. And then that's it. You're kind of like off doing that. And yeah, just, um, but I've had people around of a similar kind of mentality. So we'd be like a little, almost like a little band really, like going around doing flyers and everything else and kind of doing it all. So, um, yeah, got caught up in all of that for a while. And then, uh, yeah, it was in, I'd be for, I think it was, I was dressed as Mr. Incredible space closing party with Sasha and, uh, I'd done a lot of ketamine and I just remember in my head, it was sort of a Friday night and we were standing in this club, me and my mate Dan, and we were watching Sasha set and then obviously enjoying it. And I was certain I was in there for you know, almost 24 hours. The timeline in my head was that long, going to the toilet, coming back, getting a drink, grabbing some nuts, like doing something, you know, doing whatever we're doing. And then 
his set finished, dub fire come on, and the room kind of switched a little bit. I was like cuddling Dan for most of it. And I remember looking around and seeing my friends who literally looked like they'd been out for about an hour. And I was like, where you been? And they said, we've been right here. And I was like, no, I thought you'd all been off. And then it was just me and Dan here. And they said, I said, like, we've got to go and have like breakfast or whatever. It's Saturday morning. They went, Brad, it's like six o'clock on a Friday. My brain literally went, no, nope. and it just spun. It went like literally spun round. I think my body physically spun round. I remember just sort of falling on the floor and my chest closing up. I was like, I've got to go. I've just got to go. I don't know where, but I've got to go. I feel like I've got to get back to normality. And I just remember stepping out of that club and everyone thinking, oh, look, Mr. Incredible, and laughing and joking. I'm sort of like spinning backwards all over the place. It's kept me in. It's not exactly great for your you know, posture. Um, I got back and I just remember just kicking the shit out of everything in the apartment. My mate Aid, who weirdly turned up on the train today, I see him today. Um, I just I remember it so vividly. He said, "You've left a big chunk of yourself here, ain't you, Brad? This time." And I was like, "Fucking hell, yeah, I have. I really have." And uh, it's quite mad. Like it was as if someone, something went right. That's that's enough now. Like that was really fun, but that's got to stop. And you've got to sort yourself out. And I literally got on the plane, went home. And uh, so, you've been doing loads of ketamine up to that point. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Because I found like when I've done like LSD, like I spun me out in a very yeah, similar way. I dabbled. I don't get on very well. No, with I dabbled when I was really young, and I kind of liked it to a degree. But then I had a really scary experience on weed, doing buckets. And I really, really tripped out um, just on weed. But it was a ridiculous amount. And the visions I had of that almost scared me enough to just leave LSD and that alone. Because we were only doing like these little tab things that sort of made everything warm and fuzzy and everything else. I didn't really see anything. But seeing what I saw doing those buckets, I was like, mate, if I see anything like that, I'm just going to freak out. I don't know how I'm going to react. So I've kind of like left it alone pretty much since then. But it's more for me the feeling of like total relaxation, time going up until that, obviously, at that point. Um, and the feeling that time doesn't exist and we can keep doing what we're doing and Monday's, you know, miles away and responsibility and family are just miles away and having that kind of feeling. And it's odd because I hadn't really had the want for that feeling since that night in in Ibiza up until recently, which is when I probably feel the most stressed I've ever felt in a situation that I don't think I should feel that stressed about. But, you know, having kids and work and everything else, those little urges have started to come back. Like, I really want to start smoking again. separation. Yeah. That separation from... Your body almost, and your all your brain. Yeah, you step out of your brain. Yeah, for a little bit. Yeah, you think oh, I just want a day off. Yeah, that's yeah. me with booze. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, I'm like, I, I like, I don't. I'm quite strict with drinking. So, so for what ten years at least, I drank every day. Oh well, yeah. And um, I smoked loads of gear, and uh. And I, like, so every night I'd get home and I'd 
get out of myself. Mm. And uh, and uh, that craving has never really left me. No. I still have that craving now. Uh, but I can't do it because... I've got too many responsibilities, yeah, but I still kind of want to do it. Mm. I still have days where I just want to be a tramp. Yeah, I have that yeah, exact same feeling. I desperately want to yeah. be a tramp. Yeah. I desperately just want to give myself over to something. Yeah. And just give myself over to alcohol completely. Yeah. Uh, and let go of everything. Yeah. And, you know, if it kills me, it fucking kills me. And, you know, thank God. No, I hope it kills me. Yeah. I feel like I've been given like lots of odd little little touches of experience, like enough like little bits as if it's been given me, to me to say, right, yeah, you think you want this and give it a go and then we'll see. So I slept rough for two weeks or just over two weeks. And I, would, like, I was staying over my friends loads and then obviously their mum and dad's got a bit sort of annoyed and started to question stuff. I was like, oh, no, so no. So how old were you then? 14, 15, 16, around that sort of time. So, yeah, that's young. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was basically telling my friends that I was going home. I was telling home that I was not, and then just sort of... I've always been quite outdoorsy anyway. So you just didn't want to go home? No. Nah, I just... And everyone else... So why didn't you want to go home? Just because, like... Did at that age, everyone you start to push the rules a little bit. So, you know, I was yeah, supposed to be that, in that by... Is, like, you can't... Like, that is completely normal the amount yeah. of times I say to my wife now when my daughter's started pushing the boundaries yeah. or, or like my daughter's being mean to her I'm like that's what kids do yeah. she needs to do that yeah it's kind of like yeah it's working out what you can and can't do I think it um, must have been more extreme in your case though for you to go right I'm gonna I, I'm gonna sleep outside on my own I think like my situation wasn't even that much different to like what a lot of people go through. Nothing really went on at home as much, but it was more like in my head, I knew I just needed to get inside a recording studio and just start making music and I could just do what I needed to do. And then eventually people start giving me money for that. And then that will be what I wanted to do. And I still had that plan. And yeah. I still the head in my plan. I do, I, I do understand that. Yeah. I was the same. Like, I, I'm going to be a rock star. Yeah. Uh, so everything else doesn't really matter. No. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And like that, that, that is definitely going to happen. Yeah. So but anything in between these. My mates will be going, but Brad, you haven't even got like, anything to do on it i don't care well i'll go and find it or do this or do this call or like try and work it out and get it sorted so i think like anything that didn't fall into that way of thinking um i would you know i'd submit to it in regards of you know i went to get warehouse jobs and laboring jobs and stuff like that but i wouldn't better myself in any particular direction because I'd feel like it was a bit of a waste of time because what if I'm going to bet myself in any direction, it'd be in the direction of music. Yeah. And at that time, there you had like SAE did like a couple of courses and I'm sure I could have done like a music degree of some kind, but it just felt so unreachable, untouchable for me, all of that, like to get anywhere near like college or anything. Um, they give me the option to stay on and do my 
A-level at school, I had to promise to redo my maths and English to a certain degree. Yeah. They see like yeah. a spark I in me. I redo my English when I went to college. They literally sat down and said, like, we're going to give you this opportunity. We can see that there's, you know, potential. If you really get your head down, you know, give it a chance. And, I, you know, I was fairly smart in school. A bit of an in-betweener, really. But, um, yeah, me and that girl split up and I just didn't want to be anywhere near us. So I left and didn't do my A-levels anyway. So then college and stuff like that started to kind of move further and further away. But, you know, making money from, you know, selling drugs or going to work on a building site or, you know, doing whatever I could. Worked in a pub for a while and then, um, and that's, I think, where I discovered my love for alcohol and day drinking and, um, you know, don't have to wake up till 11 o'clock if you don't want to unless the barrels are coming in that day and then you know, just live off Domino's pizza and then get pissed with everyone all day. And then, yeah, that weren't really very health, healthy for me. Um, I've always had like, I've been quite lucky. My dad lived in Christchurch down in Bournemouth and that like stayed what it was when my mum and dad split up. So my bedroom stayed the same. Christchurch stayed the same. My dad stayed the same. So I would kind of revert back to like the 10 year old or whatever old I was kid when I went back down there so I'd always had that to kind of retreat to there's a couple of times when things got really on top and heavy that I'd find I'd get the coach down there and uh and sort of have that little retreat away from stuff so when did they split up your mum and dad um I don't know how old how I would have been it probably would have been I remember my brother being there so he's like three years younger don't know to be honest. I'm really bad with dates well, and timelines and stuff. Yeah, 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 young, yeah, junior school, I think. Right. Mm. But uh, yeah, that was quite odd, sort of. My dad worked away. He worked in Africa and Oman, I think it was. He was an air conditioning refrigeration engineer, so he'd go out and um, obviously to hot places to fit aircon units and stuff. He used to do stuff for the navy as well. Right. And my mum. Turns out I was kind of disappointed that she can't, couldn't go with him. She was left on her own. But my dad would always look at it as making more money because in the 80s, obviously, there was that. I know, kind of, and it, it, that's a mistake, isn't it? Yeah, like, a that's massive not, mistake. That's not like relationships. You, For a relationship to work, you have to be there. Yeah. And this, that is the most poignant thing that affects my day to day today is that basically that sentence yeah um and the battle between being happy in work and demonstrating to my kids that you know you can do whatever you want to do and be happy from it and obviously being in the financial trap that i really can't leave my job at the moment because of you know the situation that i'm in with it all and but you also have to invest in you and your other half and like and i think i this comes back to like the manliness trap. Yeah, totally. And I was, it's a trap that I always said I wouldn't fall into. Uh, and here I am. You know, like you, you think like your dad probably thought he was doing exactly the right thing 100%. By, by his kids yep. uh, and by his wife, mm-hmm. by being a provider. Yep. But actually, in reality, um, I mean... Don't get me wrong, there's some people who just want the money. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, and like, yeah. I'm not going to knock them, 
because they just want the money. You yeah. know, there's some wives who just want the money. Oh, yeah. So they can afford a certain lifestyle. No, I don't think my mum or my dad men, was ever really like that. But he probably thought that he's the best way he could provide for you, for you and and your mum was by going out and putting in the hours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's that 50s ideology of like yeah. mum at home, dad out at work, all hours yeah. or whatever and everything else. And yeah, he was... Uh, yeah, pretty old school in that respect, really. But then in a weird way, like, he always had music stuff around the house and, uh... like, bits of kit, so keyboards and stuff like that. And that's how I started out, was literally getting keyboards and trying to join them together and get them working and, you know, he'd have guitars on the wall and stuff. And I don't really remember him playing that much. I'm really disappointed because I... I went to see his brother. My uncle's still alive, but I haven't seen him for ages. Is your dad still alive? No, no, he died. Yeah, oh. he died of cancer uh, 10 years ago. Cancer is such a cunt. It really is, yeah. It's the biggest and cunt. And he, like, he did it in the most old cancer, school. Cancer, cunt. He did the most old school manly thing possible. But he ignored it. He, yeah, ignored it. Had a lung taken out, didn't tell anyone. And then when it come back basically i was it was the day before i was going to go traveling or the day i was going traveling i said oh dad like i'm going to borneo like it's a pretty cool cool thing um and he was really incoherent on the phone he was like uh, yeah oh yeah something to do with brown sauce and the doctor and everything else i was like what the fuck where's this come from because last time i spoke to him he was fine and um he was like brad go and have a great time i'll catch up with you when you get back I was like, right, no problems well, obviously i'm worried about him like the whole Thing. Yeah, and uh, yeah. When I got back, went straight down to see him. Literally from the airport straight down, and um, yeah, he had a lung removed. It was asbestosis, oh, okay. and um, the secondary it come back, and then a bit of it got lodged in his brain, and then it just went kind of downhill from there. So I stayed with him for I'm, like I'm terrible with timelines and stuff, but yeah, I stayed with him for you know, six months or whatever. And I just got with Kate oh, right. at this time, time and took him to the chemo. Um, on chemo the, is such a cunt. On the bus. Just watching someone dying in yeah. front of you. Chemo on a bus, even mate. Even recover. Yeah, it's horrific. It's yeah. the like, yeah, you can't even explain it. Like seeing like the person that you love that much, uh, yeah, it's basically killing their body. Well, um, it's, like, it's introducing a poison into yeah. the body. Yeah. And then you're basically, yeah. When my wife was having chemo, uh, there was so many nights when I was just like looking at her thinking, like, we might not see you tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it fucks your fucking oh, mate, it totally. fucks my up so yeah. badly. Like, more than I could ever even understand. Yeah. A lot of my. It's weird. It's kind of hard for me to even talk about. Like this hour's been quite mad because I'm not very good at remembering timelines and stuff. Anyway, but you I don't think, need to. I think the reason for that is because when those things happen, my brain—it's almost like it sort of chops that little bit out. And your brain I remember, does that. Yeah. You know, like before when we were talking about your brain does that yeah. to protect you from uh, to protect you from anguish. So I can remember like the feel of his settee, the feel of his skin yeah. smell. Cause he was still fucking smoking 20 fags a day or whatever. Smell of cigarettes. I can remember what I cooked him. I can remember music we used to listen to and stuff like that, but I can't 
really remember conversations we had or things we spoke about or like I suppose really when you're looking back in hindsight you're kind of grabbing at stuff you wish you could kind of go go back and do and that's kind of the hardest thing but I suppose it's human nature really because if we remembered everything we'd probably be a lot worse no that's your brain protecting you Mm. your brain does that so it protects you from pain yeah so it goes hold on that's really fucking traumatic what I'll do I'll park that over there yeah but that doesn't, but what I will say, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to come back and hurt you. No. Sometimes it just stays there and that's it. Yeah, that's interesting. It doesn't It doesn't necessarily mean it all comes back to haunt you. No. Which is quite nice to know, really. Yeah, definitely. Because it is a worry, like, lately, um, and it's that's why it's so cool that this has kind of come about and us doing this podcast has come about. But, yeah, su- suicidal thoughts coming back when you're looking at the train tracks and actually working out what bit would kill you. And the we, the concern is that all of that stuff is going to kind of sort of come rushing back and just, you know. I don't, I don't think it always works that way. I feel, I've, I, I certainly feel it doesn't always work that way. No. I found for doing, like, a lot of therapy, especially over past, say, four or five years, I've done a lot of, I have bought stuff back. Mm. Um, but the bringing it back is, it's a double-edged sword because it makes you feel bad, but it also, in another respect, it, um, you start going, ah, right, that's why. Yeah. Like, I know why I do that. Now. Yeah. I know why that hurts me. When mm. someone says that, mm. that hurts me, but I don't really know why. I know why I self-destruct yeah. when I think along those lines. Yeah. Although, um, without some help to get you to that point, you don't really know why. No. It's kind of... Yeah, I don't know. It's like... I'm excited about working on myself and talking about stuff and everything else. And I read all the books and everything, but it's almost like it's a a whole different part of my head or a whole different part of my body, my consciousness. Yeah, that's right. It is. Your consciousness, in many ways, I I, I think it is. It is separate. Mm. And what separates it is saying it. Yeah. That's true. So um, you might feel a certain way, you might think something, but you don't say it. No. The difference is, is, uh, is the saying, the act of talking, the act of actually verbalising mm. those painful things is, is, is when you pull it out of the subconscious. Um. And sometimes that's fucking really shitty. Mm. But the by understanding is the cure. Yeah, of course. So if you un, if you say it, it hurts, but you start to understand it, and then you start going, "Oh, but something else. Oh, that makes sense now." Yeah. And then the understanding is the cure. Mm. It really is. So the saying. This comes back to everything. We need to, everybody should be talking more yeah. about how they feel. Mm. But if it, but some of these things, like just by the act 
of talking about it, the the verbalising, saying it loud in the world. Yeah. I was really shocked, for me, is from bits of, like, points in therapy when I, the actual saying of, you know, like, I'm angry with my dad because Mm. of that. It doesn't, it's still, it's still there and it still hurts. Yeah. But the power of of, of verbalising it is quite profound. Yeah. Because uh, then you start to make sense of it. Because otherwise it is just up in your head. Yeah. Otherwise you are just going over it. Otherwise you are just thinking I'm yeah, going It could just mad. be that little paraphrase sentence that is enough to kind of drill into your brain kind of thing. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise you are taking it. You are just, it's just in your head. Mm. No one's going to go, no one's making any sense of it at no. all. Yeah, because I have days sometimes when you go through what you go through and then you think, fucking hell, no one is actually listening or looking or doing or saying anything. And everyone's so busy saying what they want and this and I want this and everything else. But then, you know, no one else is in your head, are they? No. No. And most of the time when it's in your head, it's wrong. Yeah. So so the concept of... Uh, this is a Darren Brown book, and I, I urge you... To go home and read I'm, it. I'm gonna do it, yeah. Because uh, it, it enlightened me to something really fascinating is in um the way everybody makes sense of the world is through stories. Yeah. So take that right the way back to the first time anyone could um could scroll on a wall. Yeah. They scroll the story. So what happens is internally we um tell ourselves a story to make sense of something bad. Mm. And then you... But that story is probably wrong. Definitely. So when you think about your old man, things you're telling yourself is probably wrong. Yeah. Yeah, because I've got a lot of regret about sort of how he died and everything. Exactly. Like I'm fairly certain it was my fault. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say you're... I would say, I, without knowing the details, yeah. I would say you're probably wrong. Mm. And what you've done is uh, the negative part of your brain, that bit of your brain that looks for negatives, is going, so it's created a story, yeah. but the story's probably wrong. Mm. If you were to go and talk to other family members, if you were actually like to get to the point of verbalising it, they'd go, well, no, that didn't happen. Yeah, But you've told yourself it did. Mm. Because you want to tell yourself that you're a cunt. Yeah. yeah but you're probably wrong. Yeah. And I would say you are wrong. Because mm. 90% of the time you are wrong. Because your brain, um, your brain's not trying to make you feel good about it. No. Your brain's going, well, you did that wrong, so don't do that again. Yeah. So, you know, like we, we, we're going to we're gonna store that. We're going to store that shitty bit of information and the story you've told yourself because that's going to protect you from doing something like that again. Yeah. So your brain naturally does that. It's scary how damaging that could be to kids and, and yeah. But the reality of it is, is that you've told yourself a story that's not true. And I guarantee you, I fucking guarantee you, if you went away and you try to make sense of it and you asked people and you spoke to family members, you'd be like, I, Really? Yeah, I'm fairly certain 
when I've spoken to Kate about it. And like she knows obviously the ins and outs of it and my brother was actually there as well. Um Yeah. I know you know, I know I'm right. I know you're right. But But those stories are so powerful. Mm. But what happens is you carry that story around with you all of your life. Totally, yeah. It becomes your script. So those narratives that we kind of take to ourselves, like they're normally wrong, they're normally damaging. Um we convince ourselves that it is true. We don't talk about it, so we don't confirm whether it's no. true or not, because we don't fucking talk about it because it's too painful, or we feel we'll look like a cunt. Yeah, that's irrational normally. Yeah, but the thought of not having those narratives and those scripts is really scary. Yeah, and if you don't have that narrative, then you don't have that memory of your dad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, do we, so self-perpetuating pain. Yeah. So then you'll go. Well, the easiest answer is. I am a cunt. Yeah, yeah. So it's me. Yeah. I'm the cunt. Mm. The story that I tell is I'm a cunt. Yeah. And I that was like my, that was my, that was, so what, when I, you know, I was talking about seeing hypnotherapist. Yes. Reading the Darren Brown book. Yeah. And then he went, it's just basically not, Knowing that I'd read the Darren Brown book, he went, Oh, you're doing that? Like, oh. oh, fuck. Yeah. You're right. Mm. I was talking to someone at work the other day, and he was saying about he's got like, an irrational fear of flying. And I said, Your brain is telling you that if you fly, you're going to die. Yeah. It's not true, is it? No. Went, no. I mean, the reality of it is, is that you're going to go on and have a lovely time. Mm. But your brain's going, well, you might die. Yeah. And your brain's right, you might. Yeah. But it's unlikely. I, my epiphany of this was sharks. So I've been horrifically scared of sharks my whole life, to the point that even when I have a bath, uh, I hold on to the handles on the side because I thought for some reason the bottom of the bath would drop out. I'd end up in a pitch black tank uh, and a shark would come up from behind me and do whatever it wanted to do. Um, I would still go swimming, but I would have panic attacks in the pool and just style it out and go, oh, yeah, I'm just getting out for a beer or whatever. And uh, Kate took me... Uh, Kate's your wife. We've talked about Kate a few times. Oh, I sorry, feel yeah. like we need to say Kate is your wife. Kate's my wife. She's an amazing human being. She's a qualified psychotherapist, actually. My um, wife... Um, <laughs> my wife did psychology at Reading. Amazing. Um, yeah, she's... But we never talk about it. No, no. Yeah. I wouldn't talk about half the stuff with her that I have tonight. I probably should do. But yeah, she took me uh, to get desensitised off a shark at the London Aquarium my birthday of all things and um that that was a turning point for me because i realized how in control i am of or can be if i want to be of everything that kind of scares me and anything that i need to deal with can be dealt with not always but nine times out of ten head on or talking about it or someone else going oh have you tried this or have you tried that um yeah and from then on it was you know books like Therein lies, yeah, lies the wisdom. Yeah, Ram Dass and the secret and stuff that you know. Some of them. Oh, the se- right. If you read um, 
the Darren Brown book. Yeah. And I recommend yeah. anyone who's listening to this, go and fucking get Darren Brown's happiness. I will, I will just, uh, my friend, when I was going through my meltdown last year, um, funnily enough, uh, a guy called Brad Humble, who I'd, I'd met like twice, um, but we hit it off, you know, like you just do yeah, with yeah. people. And um, he now does this thing called uh, Grum Reaper, and it's uh, he donates, he does, that's his job now, he makes like these figures, and they're fantastic. And um, he gives some of the proceeds, which is pretty impressive, being like he's not wealthy. Uh, he gives the proceeds uh, to suicide prevention. Oh, amazing. But we started to, I think I put something on Facebook or something about, like, this has got to stop people, men killing themselves. Mm. Uh, and he said, you need to read that book. Yeah. And in that book, uh, Darren Brown really, really fucking knocks the sequel. The, I watched the a, documentary of the sequel. Yeah, she did tell me that it does kind of knock it. And I, I do get it, I understand it. But at the time that that come into my life, um, it was really poignant. And it just, it was like a switch in my brain enough to say, by simply changing the way you talk inside your brain, you talk to people and being aware of the bad things you do in your life, you know, you might not manifest a fucking mansion or whatever, but just see what happens and it, things might sort themselves out. It's weird because there's weird school, there's different schools of thought on this. Mm. So the idea that, like the principle <laughs> that, um, Stop so being... for anyone who doesn't know The Secret, book by Rhonda Byrne, there's a film and a CD. It's interesting, it is interesting. And what I, what I would say about any anything that we talk about on this, I would say take what you want from it. Yeah, totally. But don't, any any book or any anything like that, even if you really get into the psychology of these things, mm. um, you need to take a, a holistic approach to it. So. Yeah. A bit of that and a bit of that and a bit of that and whatever works for you. Yeah. So the the concept of the the secret is is um, if you uh, you think positively, then positive things will happen to you. Mm. I think that's essential. Yeah. I mean, I kind of fell for a trap that I genuinely thought there was an actual secret because the way that no, it's not that the, is it. Yeah, the way they, they kind of put the film together and it's yeah. like, oh, through the centuries, Abraham Lincoln and stuff like that. So you think, oh, fucking hell, it's like this whole kind of... I know, but that, that's, that's, religion does that. It's yeah, like, of course. Uh, turning something yeah. into your... But that in, itself, that in itself made me, helped me to question religion. Not in a bad way, but to think, oh my God, it's been so normal for me. Like, I went to church for English school when I was a kid to think like, this is God, this is this, we do this at Christmas, blah, 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 yeah. and that. It's enough to just switch it, enough for me to go... You know, I could quite easily not think about any of that stuff, or I could go and do this religion, or I could go and do this. It was like it almost like freed my brain up enough to start thinking for myself and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, and therein lies therein lies the answer. Mm. Um, there was a time before religion when there was a thing called reason. Yeah, <laughs> and people used to go, "Well, if you do that, you, that happens," mm. and that's as much as you need to fucking know. Yeah. And then religion came along and went, no, no, you don't need to feel like, uh, you don't need to worry about that. What we'll do, we'll take away the worry and we'll say God will sort it out. Yeah, so you can get up and go to work the next day and not And this worry is why I detest religion. Mm. Um, 
I do think there are good things in religion. Oh, totally. But um, as far as organised religion goes, you'll never hear me fucking like, no. write it. Um, so, yeah, so Christianity came along and took away reason, mm. which is disgusting. So the Greeks believed in reason. And then before that, like you know, like the Egyptians, even before that, the Greeks and they used uh, mythology. Mm-hmm. But mythology, um, mythology basically didn't take away self responsibility. No. And uh, when Christianity came along, it took away self responsibility, mm. and that's a problem. Yeah. And that's a problem we still struggle with now. Oh, totally. Yeah. But essentially, I think what what I liked about the secret was kind of what you say, mm. was that, in essence, um, it's within you. Yep. Like, you can do something about it. Yeah. So, for me, from looking at lots and lots of things, I kind of come to the conclusion that uh, we don't have to listen to our brains. No. So your brain, my brain, my brain all day long is going, you're a cunt, you should be dead. Wow. That's what my brain says to me. All day, every day. Mm. You're a cunt, you should be dead. I wake up thinking it, I dream it. You're a cunt, why are you doing this? Why are you not dead? Um, But that's like my protective brain. But mm. I, I've kind of... And when I'm doing all right, I can go, oh, I'm not listening to that. Yeah. But it sounds like that's what your brain's doing to you. Weirdly, my brain is probably convincing me that it, I think my brain is a is a lying cunt, to be honest. It is. Yeah. Your brain is a lying cunt. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And it's been... Your brain's punishing it's you. It's given You've me done nothing wrong. this scenario, that scenario, saying this and that, and I, I've just opened to falling for it. It's making, it, it's making life really, really difficult. Mm. But the reality of it is, is that... All your brain is doing is is trying to protect you. Yeah. But you don't need to listen to your brain. No. But what I would say is, is uh, this was um, like the kind of the more kind of recent thinking around it, uh, and it goes along with mindfulness. Is that what you, you shouldn't? When I say shouldn't, this is what it says: is that not is that rather than fighting your brain and this was a massive breakthrough for me was rather than fighting your brain because that uh wears you down mm. and that makes you more real that makes you more susceptible to all the negative shit that your brain tells you yeah stress and chemical yeah. release in the body so rather than fighting it you go all right then i feel that way yeah I feel bad, mm. but that, that's not really, that, that's fine. Yeah, just being open to the feeling, I guess. So the, yeah, it's called ACT, acceptance and something other else, I can't remember, but the idea being that you just, oh, Is that an shit. hour already? Yeah. That's great, mate, that does not feel like an hour at all. ACT. Your brain's a cunt. Your brain's a cunt. Your brain tells you things. You don't need to listen, but don't fight it. Just go, okay, but I'm doing this. Sounds good to me. That's the best advice I've read. 
Thank you, Peter, my hypnotherapist. Big up yourself, Pete. Take care, you guys. See you. Love you. Bye. Look after each other. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.